0: Hello, and welcome to the Intel Report, where I will discuss topics that I feel are of universal importance. I will do my best to introduce the facts, after which I might offer my opinions based on my own analysis and experiences. Having said that, let's get started. Today I want to talk about North Korea. You might wonder why is North Korea important. Well, there are a number of reasons. First, North Korea has resurfaced recently in the media. Due to the provocative actions of its dictator, Uh, all the missile tests, and the unchecked nuclear weapons programs, and all the threats of violence. All of this comes into play, and all of it's very important, but because of the size and location of the country, and the lack of real credibility from its government, it's easy to dismiss them as a real threat for some people while others are actually panicked and they're preparing for the worst. There are a lot of misconceptions out there, and there are a lot of unsubstantiated stories floating around. You might have some ideas yourself. Uh, Some of the ideas might be influenced by what you see or hear in the media. I want to be clear about a few things. Some of the information offered by the media might have some merit, while a lot of it is just guesswork, and much of it is just not true. Uh, Since North Korea is very isolated, and since the government dictates its own very specific narrative to the world, it's very difficult to determine what's real and what's either guesswork or just propaganda. Even some of the firsthand information that we have been able to get from North Korean defectors and immigrants or refugees, if you will, is tainted a bit by both emotion and politics and in a lot of cases by bias. Um, I'd like to start with what we know about North Korea. The facts, if you will, or at least what is believed to be the most accurate account. First, I want to start with a brief history of Korea. I won't go back too far, but much of its history, Korea was an independent kingdom. Now that changed in 1905, following the Russo-Japanese War, where Japan occupied Korea, and then five years later in 1910, Japan formally annexed the entire Korean peninsula. And that's how things remained until after World War II, when the peninsula was split, with the Soviets controlling the northern half. The North invaded the South in 1950, which led to the Korean War. Conflict halted in an armistice, and it's been divided into the North and South Korea ever since uh, 1953. Now, under the influence of the Soviets, Kim Il-sung came to power, and he adopted a policy of self-reliance. Now, I'll get into more of the leadership transitions a bit later, but I'll summarize it briefly for now. After Kim Il-sung, his son, Kim Jong-il, took control around 1994, officially, when his father died, and he was followed by his son, Kim Jong-un, who remains in power today. Now some notable times in their history, following the Korean War, North Korea experienced serious mismanagement of their resources and their economy. They suffered really bad food shortages and they were so severe in the 1990s that hundreds of thousands of people starved. 200,000, it's estimated, to almost 500,000 died from starvation and malnutrition during that period. Because of their politics and their policy of self-reliance Even with international assistance, most of the population remained impoverished. Today, the situation is not as dire. However, there's still much evidence that the country is plagued by extreme poverty and very similar situation. It's just uh, hidden through the propaganda and the difficulty in getting true information. In addition to the politics of the country, There are several other factors which affect the standard of living, the culture, and their overall relevance, if you will, on the world stage, economically, cultural, and militarily. Now what other factors could be that big of an influence, other than their failed economic and political policies? Well, for starters, let's look at their geography and their climate briefly. For the most part, North Korea is very mountains has lots of hills separated by deep narrow valleys uh, with some coastal plains which are mostly to the west their total land area is not much bigger than the state of Virginia or about two hundred thousand square kilometers enough on the geography lesson what does that mean and why is it important well basically they only have about 20 percent of their land which is suitable for agriculture so couple that together with their self-reliance policy And there are 25 million people, and it's clear that they're going to experience some food shortages, at least unless they are more willing to do business with other countries and change some of their isolationist policies. Now, to go off subject for a moment, China has been a bit instrumental, a very important trade partner for them. And because of that, some of the gap left by their self-reliance policy has been filled. Now let me get back on track. Their climate, it's a temperate climate with most of their rainfall concentrated in the summer. Uh, Nothing spectacular about that, but they do have very long and harsh winters. So again, couple that climate with the isolationist policy and the results are not that hard to see. Now before I lose your attention, please bear with me. I'm definitely getting somewhere with all of this. It's just very important to have as much information as you can before you truly understand what you're dealing with and how important it is, or what you're up against, or most importantly so you can answer the question, is North Korea relevant? Now we have some background on the history, geography, and climate. Now let's cover just a little bit of the infrastructure for a moment. First, if you're able to listen to this broadcast, then you're better off than at least 70% of the population in North Korea. To clarify, less than 15% of the rural population has electricity and only about 41% of the urban population has electricity. Even when you consider that most of the people in North Korea live in urban areas, that leaves more than 18 million people without electricity or access to electric power. Additionally, more than 20 million people don't even have cellular service, and 23 million of the 25 million are without telephone service altogether. As far as transportation is concerned, there is only one registered airline and they only have 17 aircraft additionally there are only about 700 kilometers of paved roads throughout the entire country I couldn't get exact figures but with such limited roadways I can imagine that there are not a lot of personal automobiles they do have about 7500 kilometers of rail lines but the majority of that is used for military purposes and not public transportation. So they're a bit lacking when it comes to basic communications and transportation. They have more than 25 million citizens. Well, that's an important point, which I will reiterate and expound upon a little bit later on. Now let's talk about their military. Military service is an obligation for North Koreans. At 17 years old, both men and women must enter military service. Men have to serve 10 years and women have to serve until their age 23. I have conflicting information regarding the actual numbers, but there are about 9.5 million reserve units or people and about 1.2 million active duty military. Those are as accurate as the sources, and that seems to be the, the going rate on those numbers from multiple sources. If those numbers are correct, that makes the total around 11 million for their military, which is huge for their population size. Remember, they only have 25 million in the country. Some sources claim that they have the fourth largest military in the world. Well, whatever the exact numbers are, I'm not sure. This is important no matter the exact numbers. The North Korean military is broken down into the ground forces, Navy, Air Force, and their civilian security forces, so they have quite a military. As far as their equipment is concerned though, the North Korean military consists mostly of outdated Soviet-era equipment, much of which is in ill repair and lacking the support equipment and parts needed for proper maintenance and upkeep, They do have a lot of equipment, so the numbers are important. For example, they have a large amount of artillery group near the DMZ, in a demilitarized zone. Even with outdated equipment, they could send quite a bit of artillery shells into Seoul, South Korea, with with that large population. They have been spending a lot of effort recently in their rocket forces, particularly their, their nuclear program. I have read reports about them getting assistance from other countries, such as Iran, and that they may have even purchased some Ukrainian rocket engines on the black market. I have no solid evidence either way. However, based on their recent activities, they can launch ballistic missiles, and they can get fairly good range out of it. And they do have nuclear capabilities from the test that uh, we've witnessed or that the world has witnessed. Now, whether they can marriage the two together and whether they have the accuracy to hit a target directly or not, well, that's all up in the air. But truthfully, uh, you don't need to be super accurate when it comes to a nuclear weapon in order to get damage or uh, the results that they're looking for. Some things to note on their military. Their Air Force has a few modern aircraft, but due to limited numbers and the lack of proper maintenance, most of the pilots don't get a lot of flight time, so they're probably not very proficient. They have a large number of anti-aircraft systems, both to air missiles and anti-aircraft artillery. So even with their aircraft and pilot deficiency, it would be problematic for a manned aircraft to wage any kind of successful campaign over North Korea while those systems are operational. They also have a vast radar network and many conventional aircraft would have a hard time surprising them or hiding from them as far as their ground forces are concerned well they're dug in pretty deep it's no secret that they have a huge network of tunnels and other hard facilities in and around the mountains and hills which encompass most of the country they're very hard to find and they're hard to hit and they're all over the place i'll stop there for now on their military could spend hours just discussing the military but I want to move on at this point. Okay, moving on to the leadership mindset and historical precedence. As I mentioned earlier, at the end of the Korean War, the peninsula was split. And with the support of the Soviets and their guidance, Kim Il-sung came to power. Kim Il-sung adopted a policy of self-reliance, and he demonized the United States and molded his political, economic, and military policies around the premise of reunification of the Korean Peninsula. That was his ultimate objective, but he wanted the reunification to be under Pyongyang's control. Now, in 1980, Kim Jong-il, his son, was named as his official successor, and in 1994, he took over his father's role when his father died. In 2010, Kim Jong-un, was named his father's successor, and he took control in 2011 when his father died. I won't go into all the turmoil that happened under each leader, but I will hit on a few key points. Under Kim Jong-un, there have been a number of notable executions, including his uncle, for alleged treachery. Now his uncle, the reason that's important, is because he may have actually been named by Kim Jong-un's father take his place until his son was ready and again that's hearsay so there's no factual support but Kim Jong-un did a good job of executing his uncle and almost everybody in his family to erase every trace of his existence at least that's the accusation now there have also been a number of accounts under Kim Jong-un of human rights violations international human rights violations including labor camps and human trafficking now due to Famine and poor living conditions, it's also estimated that about half the children suffer from malnutrition. And there's infectious diseases which are at epidemic levels throughout the population, uh, including malaria, hepatitis B, and tuberculosis. Now, in recent months, Kim Jong-un has defied international pressures, and he's begun testing nuclear devices as well as test-launching ballistic missiles. He has also made direct threats toward the United States, Japan, and South Korea. Okay, well all this information brings us to where we are today. In a nutshell, of course, there just isn't enough time to give every detail. Now let's move on to why all this matters and what impact it has in the world, and then let's answer the question, is North Korea relevant? Today, North Korea stands isolated and impoverished, under the control of a leader who habitually makes threats and defies international standards in regards to human rights and nuclear weapons. Does he really have a nuclear-capable ballistic missile? That's really not the biggest issue. Even a small device can be used to cause devastation, and it doesn't need to be attached to a missile. After the most recent missile test, the one that overflew Japan, the international community devised more sanctions, and to some extent they had support from known North Korean allies such as Russia and China. The media is playing hard to China for not doing enough. Why China? Well, China's really the predominant supporter of North Korea. I doubt seriously either China or Russia is going to do much more than just vocalize their opposition to further belligerence from North Korea. They could possibly pressure Kim Jong-un enough that he might back down, but that's doubtful on many levels. First, Kim Jong-un has nothing to lose. More sanctions don't matter because his country's already near rock bottom. His lifestyle isn't going to change much either. If he cooperates, though, he loses face. If he doesn't cooperate, then it's just more of the same. And if he launches a nuclear strike at the United States or Japan or South Korea, he'll just hide deep inside one of his mountains, probably. He might get caught eventually, but it would probably take years and the damage would already be done. So I doubt he's going to back off. And you're probably wondering why I don't think Russia and China are going to do much. Well, that's simple. North Korea is right at their doorstep. Both share a border with North Korea. Now, I don't think they fear a nuclear strike from North Korea, but neither of them want nor are prepared to deal with the millions of North Korean refugees which would flood across the borders if any country went to war on that peninsula. And China likes being isolated too much. They like their isolationist stance. And honestly, they have a tough enough time keeping North Koreans from crossing at the present. Imagine Russia or China going to war with Canada or Mexico. The United States would have to bear all the troubles associated with millions of refugees flooding across the border. More so than it already does. So China and Russia are probably not going to do much to help North Korea. But they're probably not going to do much to provoke them either. War on the Korean Peninsula, especially a nuclear war, is something neither one of them really want. This is just one problem. A war in North Korea would be a nightmare. Like I mentioned earlier, their troops are really dug in. Complete occupation of the North is probably not possible by any invader. There are too many caves and tunnels. Uh, You also have to consider the civilians in addition to the 11 million military. Most of the civilians are very disconnected from the outside world, which means they probably trust only the stories and propaganda that they have access to. They would view probably any invader as someone coming to take what little that they have. So instead of fighting an army of 11 million, it would be more like fighting an army of 25 million. Let me pause for a moment, because I have two schools of thought for you to consider. First is what I just described, a war that cannot be won, and a population of people defending what little they have. Now consider the wretched conditions the North Koreans are living with now. All the diseases, the hunger, the labor camps, the torture. I mean, I saw some photos of a North Korean soldier gathering grass so he could have a meal for the day. So, just maybe, there would be mass surrenders if war broke out. I have to believe that some of those North Koreans would see a war as a chance to get away from the cruel regime that they're living under right now. Honestly, I think we'd see a bit of both though. Some would take the chance to escape the North, while others would fear something worse was coming if they didn't fight. Let me take a step to the side here for a minute and talk about how North Korea affects the international community. That's the real issue here. They don't produce anything that can't be produced somewhere else. They don't contribute to humanitarian relief, and they're not leading edge of science or technology. So why do they matter? North Korea is not the enemy of the international community. The enemy is Kim Jong-un, and because he has the power to execute, the power to torture, the power to enslave, and impoverish and demoralize, he also has the power of a large military, and potentially weapons of mass destruction. Because he has those powers at his fingertips, North Korea is relevant. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. I hope you learned something. If you have something to add, a comment, or any suggestion for this program or something in the future, please let me know, and please check back often, as I will be including more broadcast. Thank you again.